0: It's good to see just people saying yes to Jesus, and not just saying yes to him, but wanting to follow him, and the first step of, of, of obedience to follow him is water baptism. And so it's always good to celebrate the kids and the older people and just see what God is doing in their lives. I love hearing those, I was but God, I am statements, and just seeing what God has done in their lives. So it's incredible. A lot of good stuff going on. Last Sunday, we had adopted a block out in West Florence. It was an incredible day. For the first time in a long time, we had great weather, which made it great. And just tons of people came out. And you may not know this, but that is an event where we're adding value to that neighborhood so we can build relationships, so we can start communicating the gospel and pointing people to the direction of hope in Jesus. And it's led almost entirely by volunteers. Uh, Toya oversees that team. There's a team of leaders who are volunteers who lead that entire event. And I want you to stand up when I say your name, know, Tasha Bird and Holly Moody and Ben and Katie Bird and Rachel Chapman, and they do an incredible, incredible job. We give them a big round of applause real quick. So thank you guys for all your hours and hours of planning and preparation and brainstorming creativity and all the volunteers that help make it possible. Um, I'm going to get into the message in a second, but uh, May 4th is National Day of Prayer. And so every year on May 4th, there's a prayer event at downtown Florence at Wilson Park. Uh, I think Scott Barber's over that committee this year, but there's different pastors, different churches represented. We just get together and pray for our city, pray for our churches. And so you're more than welcome to come out to that at Wilson Park at noon on May 4th. I'll be there as well. I'll be leading one of the prayer segments. And so it's a great opportunity for us to come together as a community. If you have a Bible, turn to Second Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. I'd read a story a long time ago about this real impoverished family in Europe, and this is in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and they'd heard these dreams about America, how you could find a new dream, new life, new careers, and find wealth in America, but they didn't have much money, and so uh, they raised as much money as they could, they saved as much money as they could, but they only had enough for one ticket to sail across the transatlantic. And so the husband and wife made a decision that he would go first, and they would stay behind him. His wife and his kids would stay behind, and he would go and find a job and save money so they could all come later on. And so he bought his ticket, and with his ticket, he used almost all his money. He had a little bit of money left, just enough to maybe have a little bit of food on the way and, and get started with life when he got there. So he gets on this ship, and it's going to take 12 days to go from Europe all the way to New York City. And so he buys on his, on his way there, he buys a hard wheel of cheese and some crackers And he decided to ration those out for those 12 days. And so for those 12 days, every day he'd ration them out. He'd eat some crackers, eat some cheese, eat some crackers, eat some cheese. But he would see all these other people who were sailing inside this dining room eating great food, full banquet style food. And he'd go back to his room and eat his crackers and his cheese. And so for 11 days, he's watching them eat this incredible banquet, full food, ham and chicken and beef and vegetables and the whole nine in this dining room setting Well, he goes back and eats his crackers and cheese. So the last day right before they see Paris Paris Island, not Paris Island, that's the Marines. Ellis Island. whole another journey to go to Paris Island. Ellis Island Statue of Liberty. There's excitement building up and he's out there kind of waiting to see the Statue of Liberty. He's over the the banister and, and the lady who's the steward on the ship says, sir, can I ask you a question? Is there something we did to offend you because every day we, we see that you don't eat the banquet food that we have prepared for everyone. He says, well, ma'am, you know, I'm just, my wife and kids are staying behind. I don't have that much money. and I'm trying to save my money to, to really get started in life in America. And so I just got these crackers and cheese. And the steward looked astonished. She said, sir, your ticket price included three meals a day. There was a place set for you every single day in the dining room that you were looking into. You were looking at an empty place reserved for you. And he was blown away that he'd sacrificed. And for me, so many of us don't realize that when you say yes to Jesus, you're not saying yes to crackers and cheese. You're saying yes to an invitation to sit at the table with the Holy Spirit, to build a relationship with God the Father and God the Son through the Holy Spirit, to enjoy him on the journey of life and to the purpose he has for you to go to. And it's amazing when we, we confess the apostles here in a second. We just we talk about the things of the Holy Spirit. There's so many people that get in different camps. And the camps are really two camps. It's cessationists, which believe that the works of the Holy Spirit are done. The things that happened in the New Testament no longer happen anymore. That's stopped because now we have the Bible. And then you have sensationalists, which are those that just want an experience, emotionalism, just chasing after power. And and what I feel has happened is that these two camps have over-focused on the power or the gifts of the Holy Spirit and have not focused enough on the person of the Holy Spirit who invites us into a relationship with Him, to enjoy Him, to walk with Him, to talk with Him, to rest with Him, to receive peace from Him, and to walk in the power of God in Him. And so we want to read the, the creed real quick. If you'll throw that up. If you would just say this along with me once it's up. It says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell, and the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven. And is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And I understand there's a lot of controversy if you come from a cessationist background where you believe those things of the Holy Spirit have passed away. Or you come from a charismatic Pentecostal background where you've only been concerned with the gifts or the power of the Holy Spirit. That it's amazing to me that the most controversial topic in church is not even politics. It's usually the Holy Spirit. Yet he is God just like Jesus and like the Father. And so in this scripture, 2 Corinthians 13, 14, kind of narrows it down for us. It says this. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That's how Paul's ending his last letter to the church at Corinth who had had all types of issues with the gifts of the Spirit. They got out of bounds with the gifts. They were prophesying incorrectly. They were speaking in tongues incorrectly. They were out of bounds with the gifts. And Paul kept bringing them back. And his last words to them was reaffirming the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is reaffirming the Trinity, but he's also reaffirming the gospel in this scripture. He said, well, how is that? He says, by the grace of the Lord Jesus, the, the caress, the, the charisma, the grace, the unmerited faith, by the grace of Jesus, or through the grace of Jesus, and by the love of the Father, you can fellowship with God through the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's really what he's saying. He's saying, by the grace of Jesus, because of the love of God, you can have a relationship with him through the Holy Spirit. It's this powerful reminder to the church at Corinth, quit focusing on the gifts, quit focusing on the power, quit focusing on divisions, quit focusing on rivalries, and get back to what matters, that you are here saved by grace, because of God's love for you, to have a relationship with him through the Holy Spirit. It's this powerful, powerful reminder. Because that word fellowship is the word koinonia. Touch your name and say koinonia. Not a slot machine you put coins in. It's, it's koinonia. It's, it's a Greek word that means a fellowship. It means a relationship. It actually means deeper than that. It. it means a, a deeply intimate relationship where they're sharing back and forth. I give to you, you give to me. I share with you, you share with me. It's this deeply intimate, mutually beneficial relationship. The, where, the place we see this the most is in Philippians. Paul talks about Koinonia a lot. But in Acts chapter 2, when it describes the New Testament church where they were sharing all their belongings, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and the breaking of the bread and the prayers and the fellowship. is koinonia, it's this deeply intimate relationship, this friendship where you share and you give back and forth. Paul is describing to the Holy Spirit this relationship we should have that is just like the Acts chapter 2 relationship we should have with one another where we're deep, intimate, close friends where we share with one another. I share my heart. He shares his heart with me. I share my burdens. He shares his peace. And this sharing goes back and forth between us and the Holy Spirit. one of my concerns is in people that come from backgrounds that don't understand the Holy Spirit or the presence of the Holy Spirit, is that you start thinking that Jesus is here on earth. And the only way you can have a relationship with Jesus, obviously, is through the blood of Christ, but also through the Holy Spirit. Jesus is not here. It is very clear scripturally that God the Father is on the throne. Everybody say throne. He's on the throne, overseeing everything. But who is seated next to Jesus, or next to God the Father? Jesus. So Jesus at the right hand of the Father. I'm going to read you some scriptures just in case. Acts chapter 2, verse 33. Being therefore exalted, talking about Jesus, at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing talking about Jesus is now at the right hand of the father and he poured out his spirit Romans 8:34 who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who is raised who is at the right hand of God who is interceding for us 1 Peter 3:22 who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God Mark 16, 19, and he was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Hebrews 1, thir- uh, 1 3, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Luke 22, 16, Jesus' own words, but he says, but from now on the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. Acts 7, verse uh, 55, Je- Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Hebrews 12, he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 8, one who is seated seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven Colossians 3:1 where Christ is seated at the right hand of God over and over again the bible tells us Jesus is not here he's not in the room he's not on earth he finished his mission on earth and to fulfill it he sends down the holy spirit which is also the spirit of Jesus He is not here, but the Holy Spirit is here. If you're going to have a relationship with God, it can only happen through the Holy Spirit. And there's different theology about the Jehovah's Witnesses believe the Holy Spirit's not a person. They believe he's a force or he's, he's a byproduct of God the Father and God the Son. But I'm here to tell you, he is a person. He is not an it. He is not a force. He is not an influence. He's not some power. He is a person. In every single way, he's a person. So, the scriptures, he has a mind, he teaches, he has a will, he has love, he speaks, he prays, he has feelings. And if you come from a Baptist background, the prophet Adrian Rogers said it this way God the Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit, another comforter, to take the place of Jesus on earth. He comes in Jesus' name. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all things I've said to you, Uh, John 14, 26. But uh, Adrian goes on and says, the Holy Spirit is to be to us what Jesus himself was to the disciples when he was here in the flesh on earth. Jesus walked, talked, and fellowshiped with them. He guided them, he instructed them, he protected them. He said, I'm going away, but I'm sending another to walk with you, befriend you, and to be with you. That's when the Holy Spirit took Jesus' place on earth, and he wants you to come to know the Holy Spirit, to love, to trust, and believe in the Holy Spirit who lives in your heart to become personally acquainted with him and give him the royal place he deserves as if Jesus was walking right beside you. That was the purpose of Jesus sending the Holy Spirit was that his spirit would be with you. And just as the disciples walk with Jesus, you can walk with the Holy Spirit. Just as the disciples talk with Jesus, you can talk with the Holy Spirit. Just as Jesus protected the disciples, the Holy Spirit will protect you. Just as Jesus prayed for the disciples, the Holy Spirit will pray for you. He wants to befriend us, and he invites us into this fellowship, this koinonia, to grow and become best friends with the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm I'm a charismatic, I I pray in tongues, I I, I prophesy, I believe in all the gifts of the Spirit, and I believe they're extremely vital for the power and the strength of the local church. But don't make no mistake about it. If you miss out on the power of the Holy Spirit, it's extremely unfortunate for you. But if you miss out on the friendship of the Holy Spirit, it is tragic, 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 You cannot function in life without the friendship of the Holy Spirit. You can't even pray correctly without the friendship of the Holy Spirit. And you miss out on so much that God has in store for you when you miss out on the friendship of the Holy Spirit. You miss out on his comfort. You miss out on his conviction. You miss out on his counsel, his guidance, his fellowship. You miss out on the gifts, his fruit, his revealed mysteries, how he wants to teach you prayer life, guidance, walking, the fruit, the peace of the Holy Spirit, the love of the Holy Spirit, the kindness of the Holy Spirit, the long of the Holy Spirit, the hope of the Holy Spirit, the joy of the Holy Spirit, they all come through the friendship where you share back and forth. He shares his fruit as you share your life with him. It's tragic. And so many believers are lost sight of the joy that comes from just being friends with the Holy Spirit. So, so why would people miss out? on a friendship with the Holy Spirit? Why would they miss out? Why why would people kind of push back from the the things of the Holy Spirit? Well, I can tell you why, especially being in the Bible about religion. And you become a Pharisee, a modern-day Pharisee, where you miss out on Jesus walking in front of you through his Spirit. Do, Do you realize that? The Pharisees have been waiting for the Messiah for generations They knew the word, they knew the scriptures, they're waiting on the Messiah to come. And then God comes in the flesh on earth, walks right past them, talks to them. He's the fulfilled promise of all the law. And they miss out on Jesus. Why? You become a Pharisee because you miss out on the presence of God because you're blinded by your own religion. Listen to me. Religion will have you miss out on what God is doing. Religion will have you so blinded to what God did, you'll miss what God wants to do. Religion will have you so blinded that Jesus can be right in your midst and you don't even see him. Religion can have you so blinded that the Holy Spirit can trying to hold your hand and walk you through life, and you don't hold his hand because you're so blinded by religion you can't see that he is there. Well, how do you become a Pharisee? You become a Pharisee when you're too familiar with the scriptures, when you become too familiar with the scriptures and too unfamiliar with his presence. Listen, I'm going to say that again. You become a Pharisee when you become too familiar with his scriptures and too unfamiliar with his presence. You say, well, well yeah, I thought, you know, we, we find Jesus through his scriptures. Yeah, you, you find a foundation for Jesus through the scriptures. But you have to meet him face to face. Paul knew the scriptures, but he had to meet Jesus face to face. And so Pharisees are people that know the word inside and out. They know every single word. They can dot the I's and cross the T's. They can quote scriptures. They know the law. They know the scriptures. But when the Holy Spirit is right in front of them, they have no idea who he is. Because they've never become friends with him. And what happens is you miss on the greatest blessings and gifts God has in store for you. Because you're blinded by religion. Well, what is a Pharisee? Well, you may be a Pharisee if, in the old Jeff Foxworthy jokes, touch your neighbor and say, you may be a redneck if. All your clothes have a cursive A on them. You may be a Pharisee if. You spend more time talking about what you are against than what you are for. You condone in secret what you preach against in public. You make every issue a black or white issue. You read the Bible to substantiate your own convictions, but not to be shaped in God's image. You sacrifice the love of God for the truth of God. You know the law, but not the spirit of the law. You know the scriptures of God, but not the power of God. You major on the minors and minor on the majors. You do not practice what you preach yourself. You go to church on Sunday, but don't live as the church throughout the week. You study God's word, but you don't worship his presence. You read your Bible for information but not transformation. You want mercy for yourself but judgment for everybody else. You're more concerned with your outer image and what people think of you than you are your own personal inner holiness. You require people to live up to your standards that aren't even found in the Bible. You say other people are not Christian when they disagree with you and your personal convictions. You talk about what God used to do in the past rather than what God is doing in you today. And you are more concerned with the opinions of others than you are the opinions of God. Like it, it, and it's, it's so drastic because it is so much easier to be a Pharisee than a friend with the Holy Spirit. Listen, I'm going to tell you, it's it's so much easier, so much easier to be a Pharisee. You know how easy it is to read a, a book about women compared to building a relationship and being married to one? It's the same way with the Holy Spirit. It's so much easier just to read a book and memorize some scriptures than it is to build a relationship with God here in his presence. It's so much easier to ascribe to black and white answers rather than to walk in the grace of Jesus. It's so much easier to say it's us against them and them against us than it is to walk in the grace and mercy and forgiveness of Jesus. It's so much easier to be a Pharisee and just ascribe to a doctrinal statement than it is to live life following the leading of the Holy Spirit. It is so much easier to be a Pharisee. That's why I believe the majority of the American church is a modern-day Pharisaical movement. We have convictions, we just build a theology around our convictions. We have politics, we build a theology around our politics. Rather than saying, who is the Holy Spirit? What is he saying and where is he going? Because I want to be wherever he is. Make no mistake about it, it is so much easier to be a Pharisee than a follower of the Holy Spirit. It's easier to read a book than it is to build a relationship. Religion is a lazy man's pursuit of God. It's lazy. Why? Because there used to be a term for the Holy Spirit, the Celtics used to use, and and when you translate it into English, it means wild goose. And so they'd say the leading of the Holy Spirit, following the Holy Spirit, is like a wild goose chase, like snipe hunting for all you rednecks, cow tipping, whatever you want to use. Like the the Holy Spirit says wild goose. It's his journey of following him to and fro and here and there and following him. Religion is lazy because you just go with the mind. See, anybody can just study with the mind, but to follow the Holy Spirit, you're following with your mind, your heart, your spirit, and your hands, and your feet, and your mouth. That's what Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. What is that? That's not religion. That's walking with the Holy Spirit. Because you need to realize this. Jesus did not give us a book. He didn't die to give us a book about what he used to do. Like this book is not about what he used to do. This book is a foundation of what he can do. It's a major difference. This is not a historical document of the faith. This is a living, active word that can cut you like a sword straight to the bone and marrow and the soul and spirit. It's a living, acting, breathing Word of God that is the foundation for a friendship with him. And it opens up the possibilities. These promises are possibilities for me. The power is a possibility for me. The gifts are a possibility for me. The journey is a possibility for me. This book is not a historical document about what God used to do. It is the foundation of what God wants to do. Because Jesus did not die to give us a Bible. Jesus did not die for religion. He died for relationship. Touch your name and say relationship. It's different. It's vitally different. A religion is something that you can just go, you study, you say, I believe with that, and you agree with that, and that's a religion. But a relationship is something you build over time. It's a mutual sharing, connection, love, sacrifice, giving. So many things. And the gospel of the kingdom, not the gospel of forgiveness, but the gospel of the kingdom is so much deeper than we give it credit for. We say, what do you mean, Pastor? You know, I, I try to hit this all the time. This is the gospel of the kingdom. I'm going to tell you, Jesus did not die just so your sins could be forgiven. Your sins could be forgiven by the law. In the Old Testament, there was rituals that if you sinned, you just take, you know, your animals and you sacrifice. So that means if you died, you take your favorite pet and you go kill your pet. Now God is pleased with you. The day of atonement, they would sacrifice the animals and all the sins of Israel were forgiven. So if that's the case, if your sins can be forgiven in the Old Testament, why did God's own son have to die for my sins to be forgiven if I could already be forgiven? Why would he sacrifice so much for something you could already accomplish under the law? Because that's not the gospel. The gospel is this, that Jesus came to do what the law could not do. The law could be forgiven your sins, but you could not be made holy. There was a separation between the holy of holies and all the people of Israel. They could not get into God and God could not get into them because even though they could wash away their sins, they couldn't be made whole and new again. And so throughout the ages, God showed them what it could be as they laid down their sins, they made their sacrifices, the go in the Holy of Holies, he could have full access to God. He could hear God's voice. He could worship God's presence. He could intercede for one another. He could walk with God, talk with God, all these things. Until Jesus came, Jesus then goes deeper than the law could go. It wasn't just external forgiveness. It was changing you from the inside out. Why? Because God was not trying to restore the Abrahamic covenant or the law. God was trying to restore the Garden of Eden. See, what's that mean? In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve walked with God. They talked with God. They fellowshiped or koinoniaed with God. They sat with God. They rested with God. They loved God. It was this mutual sharing relationship. And with sin, it caused this separation of this brokenness. And the whole Bible, the gospel is trying to get back to the Garden of Eden. This restoration of relationship, this restoration of earth, this restoration of his kingdom, this restoration of his purpose. And so Jesus comes. The Son of God comes and takes on human flesh. He lays down his own life, pours out holy blood. And as he pours out holy blood, he says, anybody who believes on him, confesses with their mouth, repents and believes and trusts in him, he will make them born again. Why didn't he be born again? So you can be made new on the inside like Adam and Eve were. So now you can have access to God because the veil in the temple was torn so that you can have all access to God and God can have all access to you so that now you don't just need the forgiveness of sins. Now you have relationship again. So it's not about forgiveness of sins. It's about being made holy enough to have access to God through his spirit. See, that's a lot different than just raise your hand and, have forgiveness of your sins. So you raise your hand have forgiveness of your sins so you can have a relationship with God through his Holy Spirit. So you have to ask your question, am I ascribing to a religion? Do I have a relationship with the Holy Spirit? See, religion is connecting to the traditions, the ceremonies and doctrine of Christianity. but relationship is connecting to the person of the Holy Spirit. Religion is the trellis. The relationship is the vine. Religion is the wine's skin, but relationship is the wine. Relationship or religion is the dry bones, but relationship is the life-giving breath of God. Religion is the routine. Relationship is the adventure. Religion is all about the past. Relationship is all about the now. Religion is about systems and structures of Christianity. Relationship is about following the ways of Jesus himself. Religion is about commandments, relationship is all about promises. Religion is about works, relationship is about grace. Religion is about protection, relationship is about sharing. Religion is about control, relationship is about freedom. Religion gathers around buildings, denominations, and people, but relationship gathers around the person of the Holy Spirit. Make no mistake about it, Jesus did not die to create another religion. You know what made the Pharisees mad? They thought Jesus was trying to create another religion. You know what messed up the disciples? They thought Jesus was adding on and making another religion. And he told them, listen, I'm not doing that. Here's what I'm doing. My kingdom is going to come. They said, where is it? He said, it's right there in the midst of you. He did not die to create another form of religion on earth. He died so that all people, Black, white, African, Asian, American, South American, Mexican, Honduran, no matter what language you speak, had access to the Holy Spirit. Who had been confined to the Holy of Holies for generations. The only people that had access were people that were born into the Levitical priesthood. The only people that had access to even the the priesthood were the, the Jews. Now all people have access to the Holy Spirit. All of us. And so the question is now that you have access, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do? Now that you have the opportunity, you're invited into this, this relationship, or you can, can keep on eating crackers and cheese religion, or are you going to come to the table where the Holy Spirit is inviting you to Koinonia. Or are you can keep on eating the crackers and cheese of Bible Belt Christianity, go through the rituals, their traditions, the ceremonies. Or are you going to step up to the table and eat at the banquet of the Holy Spirit? We invite you to feast on his joy, feast on his peace, feast on his love, feast on his hope, feast on his long-suffering, feast on his goodness, feast on his promises. It's an invitation. And he's a gentleman. He did not make you come. He just sets the table every day and says, come. So real quick, I'm going to give you five ways to begin to engage and build a friendship with the Holy Spirit. Just five ways, five ways for you to start building a friendship with the Holy Spirit. And one is this you have to honor him as God. What does that mean, Pastor? It means worship him. Like he's God. Like so many times we think it's the Father and the Son, and then way over down the, the hierarchy is the Holy Spirit. No, they are all co equals. The Holy Spirit is a person and he is divine, he is God. He is the God that's with us. He is God. Therefore, he deserves adoration, worship, and praise. In Acts chapter 5, Peter says this, Ananias and Sapphira just lied to them. He said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your hearts to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you've contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man but lie to God, referring to the Holy Spirit. That means he is worthy, if he's God, he's worthy of your worship and praise. Pastor, this, that sounds kind of weird. You know, you know, I was taught to just worship Jesus, you know, worship the Father. That when you worship the Holy Spirit, he points you to Jesus. But if he's God and you're not worshiping, you're not worshiping God. If you say I'm going to worship God the Father and worship Jesus, but I'm not going to worship the Holy Spirit, that means you're deciding not to worship God himself. And the Nicene Creed, which is AD 325, says this about the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and Son and with the Father and Son is worshiped and glorified for he spoke through the prophets. So what does that mean? How do I worship the Holy Spirit? Just like you worship Jesus. You ascribe his name, you worship him. When you, when you want to fellowship with him, you bring your awareness to the fact that he is here. Jesus is there, the Father's there, but the Holy Spirit is here. I bring my awareness and I give him my attention. I say, okay, you're here, you're in the room, you're in me, and then you give him your affection. You tell him how good he is. You tell him how much you love him. You tell him how much you appreciate him. You begin to tell and you worship him and honor him as God. One of the songs, you know, it's a to let me sing in church. One of the songs I used to sing in my Devo time, all the time, is it starts with, Father, I adore you. Jesus, I adore you. Then it goes the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I adore you. And I sing that almost daily. Because I want to make sure the Holy Spirit knows how much I adore him. And so the question for you would be this. When was the last time you worshiped the Holy Spirit? Number two is you could talk with him like a friend. Like you can literally talk, it's koinonia, it's fellowship. That is your prayer life. Listen to me, prayer has never been designed to be a monologue where you talk to God and God doesn't talk back. It's designed to be a dialogue where you share with him and he shares with you. It's designed to be a place where you share your deepest burdens, your deepest secrets in the Holy Spirit. He says in 1 Corinthians 2, he gives you his deepest secrets. He gives you the mysteries of God. In the same way, when you pray, you're casting your burdens onto Jesus through the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit then gives you his peace. See, in our prayer life, we have made prayer more of a religious structure than a relational conversation. We make it about saying the Lord's Prayer or saying this prayer or blessing our food or blessing this rather than sitting down and having a conversation with God. And when you have a conversation with God, he will talk back. He will speak. So I, I just don't know if he speaks. In, in June and July, we're going to go all through how God speaks. But he speaks. God will speak to you through his word. The Holy Spirit will speak to you through his still small voice. He'll speak to you through impressions, checks, and promptings. He'll speak to you through dreams and visions. He'll speak to you through others. And sometimes he may speak to you audibly. Make no mistake. You can talk to him. Like it amazes me how so many people want to talk to a pastor or a staff pastor, but they won't talk to God. You know what that tells me? They've ascribed to an Old Testament style of religion where they think there's a priesthood who has to go into the Holy Holies and talk to God for them. They don't realize the veil has been torn and they can talk to God just like anybody else. Number three, you can walk with him as a guide. Like he wants you to walk with him. He wants to guide you through life. And in John 16, 13, he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you. Into all truth, he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Galatians five twenty five. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. You realize you can go for a walk with the Holy Spirit. You can go to Divert Park and take a walk if it's not flooded, and take a walk. You can go to McFarland Park, take a walk with the Holy Spirit, and dodge mosquitoes the whole entire time. You can go to Wilson Park, which is one of the places I like to go, and sit on the bench and have conversation with the Holy Spirit. Or I'll walk around the fountain and I'll walk with the Holy Spirit. Or I'll go to the courthouse and I'll pray and I'll walk with the Holy Spirit. Do You realize you can walk with the Spirit of God. Actually, He invites you to walk with Him. He's literally inviting you to keep in step with to grab a hold of His hand so He can walk you over temptation, around sin and into your purpose. But I'll tell you, you'll never get there if you think you can walk there on your own. The only way you can get there is to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. And I don't know if you know what keep in step means. It means when he steps with the right foot, you step with the right foot. I know that because I did military drill for four years in the Air Force. You know what they're training you to do? They're training you to listen to the commands of the drill sergeant so you can keep in step with the commands, and you can obey what he's saying. I mean, it goes back to you learn how to march. When you start marching, they'll say, I almost went into commands. I'm not doing that, girl. They'll tell you to start marching, and you all start marching with your right foot first and then left. That's why they have the commands, left, 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 right, left. What are they trying to do? Keep you in step with one another and with the drill sergeant. In the same way, the Holy Spirit wants you to be so close to him that you stay in step with the Holy Spirit. Could you imagine how much better your life would be that if every step you're walking was in step with the Holy Spirit? You say, well, how do I do that? I'm going to tell you, and you're not going to like the answer. How how do you walk in the Spirit? How do you stay in step with the Spirit? Walk slower. Walk slower. Slower. One of the things, I was talking to somebody just moved here. We first moved to Florence. I felt like I was running and everyone else was walking. Like you go to the gas station, you see somebody, you barely know them. They would talk to you for an hour. You're like, bro, do you not have a job to go to? No, just nobody shows up on time. And I'm like, I, I got places to go. I need to do this, I need to do this. Pick the kids up and they're just talking. You stop at the coffee shop. They stay there for hours. And I, I just moved here. I talked to Pastor Steve Husky at Faith. I said, man, I feel like I'm running and everybody else is walking. He said, you are. He said, that's the pace of life here. Sometimes we get so busy trying to get from point A to point B, we let go of the Holy Spirit and we just rush. I will tell you, don't take any other advice. The slower you walk, the more you stay in step with the Spirit because he doesn't go anywhere fast. You think it took him thousands of years to come on the day of Pentecost. He is not running. He is not rushing. He is purposely getting to where he needs to get to. He'll use interruptions as ministry moments. He'll use interruptions to prevent you from getting caught up in something the enemy's playing ahead of you. He will take advantage of your slower pace and lead you hand by hand to where he wants you to go. And number four, you can learn from him as a teacher. I appreciate you learning under my teaching, but the best teacher you'll ever have is two things. The word... And the Spirit. That's the best two teachers you can have. Not Stephen Furtick, not T.D. Jakes, not Adrian Rogers, not Charles Stanley. The Word and the Spirit. He wants to teach you. He wants you to learn from Him. But if you don't have a friendship with Him, it's hard to learn from Him. In John 14, 26, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you what all things. Not some things, but all things, and bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. He wants to teach you. It's one of my greatest teaching. I don't have a seminary degree. I have an online Bible college of the sins of God, to be honest, it was worthless. I finished my undergrad late at Liberty University because we had four kids. Like, I'm not the most educated person in the world. 90%, 90% of my knowledge has come through the Holy Spirit and the books He's led me to. He will teach you if you allow him to. See, there's a difference between reading the Bible and sitting with the author of the Bible. It's a difference. I have a great relationship with Dr. R.T. Kendall. He's written 60-some-odd books. I love his books. Sensitive of the Holy Spirit is one of my favorite books of all time. The Anointing is an incredible book. You know, I can read those books, and they're great. I can highlight them. I can dog ear them. I can put notes in them. They're, They're great. You know how good it is? What a benefit it is, and how entitled I feel to be able to go and have breakfast with Dr. RT Kendall. When I want to have breakfast with him after he's done making fun of me for the first 25 minutes of my life. I can learn more from him in those next 30 to 60 minutes than reading any or all the books he's ever written. Why? Because so when the author writes. They write in a structured way to help you learn, but they don't put everything they know on the paper. Listen to me. They don't put everything they know on the paper. There's not enough pages. There's not enough words for an author to just put everything they know. Some stuff gets filtered out so that you can obtain and read and and apply what they've actually said. The same thing with God. Do you realize even in the book of John says, all that Jesus did is not put in these pages because there wouldn't be enough books in all of the world to contain the teachings and ministries and healings and experiences of Jesus. And so what's happened is he puts what we can obtain there, but the author invites us to dinner to share with us not just what's in there, but to elaborate and teach us the spirit behind the words so we can learn even more. Well, how do I do that, Pastor? Quit reading your Bible like a textbook. Start reading it like a conversation. Sit down, open your Bible, and invite the author to begin teaching you. Well, How can I do that? Biblical meditation, you pick a scripture, Psalm 1. You read it. You write it down. You say it. And then you pray it. If you just do that, I promise you, your revelation will increase tenfold. Read it. Write it say it, pray it what are you doing? You're inviting the Holy Spirit the author of the Bible to guide you and teach you through it and number five is this after you've honored him and worship after you've talked with him like a friend after you've allowed him to teach you like a teacher you've allowed him to lead you and walk with you as a guide sit with him sit with him like a comforter do you realize that's that's one of the number one words that's given to the Holy Spirit is he's, he's a comforter. But he can't comfort you if you keep running away from him. He can only comfort you if you sit down with you know, I, As a pastor, I've been in tons of situations, hospitals, deaths, accidents, traumatic situations. And I tell young pastors that, that they're nervous going into these rooms and I say, don't say a word. Like you're not walking in traumatic experience. We think we gotta go in and say something to make somebody feel better. No, as a pastor, when you just show up, your presence comforts people. When you show up in an mercy room and there's a traumatic situation, your presence comforts people. When you show up at a funeral home, your presence comforts people. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to have the answers for everything. The same way with the Holy Spirit, he doesn't have to say anything. Just his presence comforts us. And so when you make time to sit with him, you experience this comfort it says in john 14 16 and i'll ask the father and he'll give you another helper the comforter to be with you forever well how can i sit i'll tell you you cut out time. i would say two hours a month if you can pick two hours a month either get up two hours early one saturday morning or one saturday morning get up at nine o'clock go outside turn your stinking phone off the holy spirit's not in your iphone Satan probably is. Turn your iPhone off. Turn your music off. And begin to sit with him in silence. Do you realize silence was one of the spiritual disciplines in the church till America got a hold of him? Sit in silence. It'll take you 30 minutes for your brain to slow down from all the stuff you could be doing. you would be thinking, oh, well, I could be doing this, I could be doing that. Then it'll take another 30 minutes for all your thoughts to kind of radiate through your mind. And then you'll get to about an hour, hour fifteen, where the silence begins to settle, and you begin to experience the comfort of the Holy Spirit and the peace I believe of the Holy Spirit. And what it'll do is it'll it'll remove all the overstimulation that our world tries to give us. Instead of having worldly stimulation, you'll start being stimulated from the presence of God Himself. There's an old quote. There's a Desert Father. I don't know if you know what the Desert Fathers are. In the early Church, you know, 150 AD to 300 AD, there's a, a group of people who went out in the deserts of Egypt. They were Christians, African American Christians. So if you have a think though know, you know, Christianity was forced on slaves in America, no. These are African American Christians in Egypt in 300 AD, and they created these first monasteries. And what they believe, they would go out in the desert, they live off the land and they would protect the gospel in its purity and integrity. And their goal was to maintain the gospel, not just in word, but in their bodies, in their minds, in their lives. They practiced everything as a brotherhood. And there's one particular desert father named Abba Pombo. Everybody say Pombo, what a name, Abba Pombo. And he was this wise, 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 wise man. And people would come from near and far to ask him questions for wisdom. They'd send saints, they'd send priests, they would send uh, great leaders of the time from the Mediterranean and from Africa. They'd come to see him. And in particular, this one great leader comes to talk to Abba Pombo. Leader comes, I mean, he's traveled far to get to Abba Pombo. He gets to Abba Pombo, he doesn't say a word. Abba Pombo doesn't say a thing. Just sits there staring awkwardly at this man who just traveled to see him. The guy gets mad, he goes out to one of the you know, one of the other people, he says, hey, listen, I traveled all this far. He won't even say anything to me. He says, well, go back and try to sit with him again and ask him to talk. He goes back in, Abba Pombo just stares at him again like he's crazy. The guy gets mad, goes out tells the other guy, says, hey, listen, he didn't say a word to me. I just traveled so far. Will you go ask him why he won't talk to me? So the guy comes into Abba Pombo and he says this. He says, if he can't be fulfilled with my silence, he can't be fulfilled with my words. And I believe that's one of the things God is calling us to. That if you can't be fulfilled with the presence of God, you will not be fulfilled with the prophetic word. You will not be fulfilled with some great purpose. You won't be fulfilled with some great power experience. It is the silent presence of God that brings the comfort and fulfillment to our soul. So if you, that's why you bow your heads and close your eyes just for one second. We're going to have a response time before even the response. I'm just ask one question, and one question only. If you're in the room today, and you've been walking, trying to ascribe to a religion, you know the right things to say, you know the rituals to go to, you know the traditions of the church, but you haven't walked in a relationship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. You haven't had that koinonia, that fellowship, that friendship you want today to be the day that begins it begins through the grace of Jesus which is the blood of Jesus being poured out on your behalf because of the love of the Father that gives you access to the fellowship or the coin or the friendship of the Holy Spirit you say that pastor I want that to be my day that I'm not gonna have you stand up today I'm not gonna have you come forward but pastor I want that to be my day here's how it starts you believe in your heart you and confess it with your mouth and I'm gonna ask you to confess your mouth right now just to me every head is bowed every eyes closed Pastor, that's me. I just want you to slip your hand up and say, "That's me, Pastor." Thank you. Anybody else? Put your hands in if you raise them. Father, in Jesus' name, for those that raise their hands, I pray right now, in Jesus' name, that by the blood of Jesus, they're confessing their sin, that you wash them and make them white as snow, and you give them full access to your presence give them full access to your promises, you give them full access to your purpose, and you make them new creations in Christ, all for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen, here's what we're going to do, every head is bowed, every head is closed, if you raise your hand, if you would do me a favor, when the service is over, you stop by Connection Points, we get a gift in your hand to say, we want to walk with you, but this is the response, we're going to go in just one song of worship, I want you to stay there, and I want you just to begin to worship the Holy Spirit. Some of you may be awkward at first. I want want you to adore him. Give him affection. Tell him how much you love him. Tell him how much you appreciate his presence in your life. Tell him how much you appreciate he's always been next to you. Begin to talk to him. Begin to ask him questions. Begin to share with him your heart, your needs, your desire. Begin to talk to him. And as you do, you're, you're literally training, you're responding on how to fellowship or build a friendship with the Holy Spirit. thank you for your presence but we thank you for your friendship we thank you for your power we thank you for your gifts we thank you for your wisdom we thank you for your knowledge and Father, in this room i just pray there's a whole group of people in this room right now that become unsatisfied with religion unsatisfied with systems and structures unsatisfied with the wineskin, unsatisfied with the trellis and hungry for the vine, hungry for the wine, hungry for koinonia with the Spirit. Holy Spirit, I pray that you make yourself real to them. Make your presence tangible. Make your voice loud. Make your guidance clear. And walk with them and talk with them. As Adam and Eve walked in the garden. Father, we bless you. We thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said. Amen. If you would stand to your feet as we dismiss, I'm going to bless you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As you leave, may you leave in the peace of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, in the presence of the Holy Spirit, everywhere you go, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.